to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a legendary tour manager, a, a person who brought this band uh, all over the world from the uh, Ramones Road Crew or the the Ramones Road Crew, Monty Melnick, author of one of the great rock and roll books of all time, On the Road with the Ramones, which is a brand new revised edition with more bonus stuff. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, to get in touch with me, hit up the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. Though this episode came about because of John Worcester's help, so hats off to John Worcester for making this one happen because very much appreciated, John, and uh, and friend of the show and, and, and comedy and, and music legend, John Worcester, too. So not just a guest booker. He does that. He does all that sort of stuff. He's a he's like a utility knife of, of, of skills. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at LeftForDamien. If you want to support the show, pick up a t-shirt at turnedoutapunk.com. And thank you to people that have picked up those t-shirts. I saw people on tour wearing them. I finally got uh, some myself, so I'm going to post some pictures on IG. That's the, that's Instagram, at Left for Damien, of me wearing those shirts. Uh, you can find uh, yeah find them over at turnedoutapunk.com. And once again, thank you to everyone who has picked one of those up. You can also support the show by telling all your friends about it or subscribing to it and rating it on your platform that you're listening to it on. Do what you do. Uh, I play in a band called Fucked Up. Uh, you can find out more information about us over at fuckedup.cc. We got a show coming up this weekend in Winnipeg. And then we've got some other stuff we're working on in the future and a brand new video for the new song Oberon off the Oberon 12 inch, which is coming out on tank crimes. Watch that video. It's got my little, my little baby in it. My, my, my youngest is in that video and having fun with, uh, Josh's kid. And, and it's, it's a fun video for me as a parent. It's an amazing video. Hopefully you like it too. For me, it's, I love it. It's my favorite music video of all time. Move over Peter Gabriel's sledgehammer. There's a new champ. Uh, so find out more information about Fucked Up over at fuckedup.cc, uh, tour dates and merch and what have you, new records and new videos and whatnot. All right, that is it. On to today's show. Today on the show, as I mentioned off the top, the Ramones tour manager, Monty Melnick, is here. Monty drove the bus, as you heard Clem Burke talk about last week on the show, and was the guy who sat up front and, and drove the van with Johnny beside him and uh, yeah, so what better way from when Clem talked about him that bring him on the show? As I said, John Worcester made this happen. So once again, thank you to John Worcester for doing so. Monty is a legend. Monty's a music legend because he was with the Ramones the whole way through. Also played in a lot of cool bands that I had a lot of questions about because this book, On the Road with the Ramones, there was no hyperbole when I mentioned off the top. It's one of the great rock and roll books ever written. It's an oral history of the Ramones going on tour and there's some stories in this. Holy jeez. Woo. The Ed Stasium, uh, Elton John story stands out in my mind. When you read this book, you'll know exactly what I mean. Uh, there's a new edition. As Monty says, it's got red writing on the top on the road with the Ramones because there's been a couple editions over the years because this thing 
it's timeless. You can never get enough of this thing. Uh, and uh, you can find this book where you find your books, uh, online or hopefully at a bookstore near you. All right, I'm not going to blabble, blabble, babble, blather anymore. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy Monty Melnick on Turned Out a Punk. Monty, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure to be here. Well, as I was just telling you off air, on the Ramo- on the road with the Ramones is one of the greatest rock and roll books ever written, and sort of an essential, I don't like, and, well, definitely an essential way into this band that's like kind of shrouded in mystery. Like I really do feel like for the mystery. longest, well, I feel Even like now after like twenty. 30, 40 years. <laughs> well, I think I think your book was the first sort of like real peel back of that. Like a little bit yeah, when there was yeah, that, yeah. you know, the Howard Stern debacle and beef on air where you kind of got a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. But up until that point, you know, to me at least as a fan, it always presented as a very sort of like uniform, like this band is more than a band, it's a gang to kind of take something from the clash, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, my book, I try to bring out a lot of different elements and people and uh, things that people didn't talk about before. Uh, my book came out, you know, late 2003, 2004. It's had a few different updates over the years. But what I in my book, I do try to bring out different things uh, from behind the scenes and talk to a lot of different people involved with the band. Not only just the band, but people, you know, crew and uh, promoters and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I try to bring out the whole aspect of the uh, whole th- thing about the music business there. Yeah, like, well, that's the thing. Like, you know, it's not just the people, obviously, that you get from the Ramones camp and, and you know, the Ramones inner circle. But it's like, you know, like the people that would have been there, like Sonny Vincent, you know, people that would have been kind of seeing it on the ground level, like their kind of perspectives in the book, too, and, yeah. and their stories and stuff like that. And I think it really kind of it really puts the Ramones in their place, uh, not just as this legend of rock and roll sort of like part of the great pantheon of like rock gods classic rock gods that they are now but it puts them in the context of being like a legitimate working band and like what it was like for them on the day-to-day what it was like for you on the day-to-day well yeah basically ramones were a touring band i mean because when they were around they didn't sell very many albums you know enough that they want you know more than they not enough that they expected to sell you know mm-hmm. but so they had to make uh, their living on the road that's where I came in. <laughs> well, we're going to get to that. I want to start this off the way they all start off here. How did you first come across punk? Do you remember the first time you ever heard the word? Well, associated with the Ramones, basically, you know, mm-hmm. that was that, you know, they, they were around. I worked with them in the studio and then I worked with them in CBGBs. I knew Tommy. I grew up with Tommy. And then all of a sudden they, that word came out, it was thrown at them, you know, there was also um, John Holmstrom's Punk Magazine came out at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that was thrown at them too. So they really didn't like, you know, the name, basically. I mean, they just were, they wanted to be rock and roll band. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when Jane County was on, she talked about being DJing at Max's one night and Dee Dee coming in with, I think, the NME or one of the, you know, English music papers and lamenting the fact that they were being called punk. Like, can you believe it? They're calling us punk. Like, what? what's this? And it, how... It seems like it was something that almost dogged them a little bit. Well, like, initially it was like before the name punk came out, you called somebody a punk. It wasn't a, 
that's a pleasant thing, really, you know. Hey, you're punk, you know. Or, you know, they, back with the Marlon Brandos was punk, you know, with his leather jacket and there's other types of punks, you know, but they were, it wasn't a, a positive name, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so no, absolutely. Initially, when it first came out, punk, you know, it was like a little shock to them, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They didn't you know, like it. They didn't like the name punk, basically. You know? Well, it's funny because, like, it, it's, you know, they're they're not coming from it after the Ramones. They, they're the band bringing this to the world. And I think it's interesting everywhere the Ramones go, you know, especially on that first run, bands form in the wake. Everyone's at those shows. Well, that's the legacy of the Ramones, basically. People say, what's, you know, what, what do the Ramones really stand for? Basically, their legacy was like, they were kind of like Johnny Appleseed. You know, Johnny Appleseed would go around planting apples all over the back, apples would grow. But they would, we would go out and play different small clubs and small cities and around the world and in the United States. And all these kids would come see them, you know? Mm -hmm. But they'd see, they see that they didn't have to be like an Eric Clapton on guitar or play drum solos and stuff like that. It was, it was easy, simple music, you know, competently played. And all these kids came to, this, to, to their shows and saw that and they formed a lot of bands. Mm -hmm. So all these other huge bands formed uh, watching the Ramones, you know, U2 and Pearl Jam and uh, Metallica. They all saw the, the band as kids and then <laughs> started their own stuff and became so much bigger than, than the Ramones in the end there, you know? Well, I think it's funny because that's like the great deception of the Ramones is that it's super simple and that anyone can do it. That's the thing. People, you know, when when Richie split uh, abruptly, we had a bunch of gigs booked and uh, and, and we uh, Clem was around. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, our manager, um, Gary Kerfus, also managed Blondie and Talking Heads and B-52s, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, then not Blondie was off, but they weren't doing anything. So uh, uh, Gary says to Clem, yeah, that's easy. Yeah, go play with them. You know, it's no problem. It wasn't. It's not that easy because it's. They, he didn't have enough. The problem is he didn't have enough time to really rehearse with the band enough. So they threw, threw poor Clem into with these shows. He played two shows. It was okay, but it wasn't any little thing, little bit out of line with the Ramones because the Ramones were like boom, 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 boom. That's what what happens. You know, when Marky came in, when Tommy left, Tommy worked with Marky for about a month or so because Tommy developed that style. You know. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. He wasn't a drummer. Tom was a guitar player. He was a great musician, of course. So that's what's that's the problem. You know, people say, yeah, it's easy. <laughs> it's not that easy. Clam Burke was a great drummer. Blondie and Rhythmics, blah, blah, blah. You know, great guy, terrific drummer. He, you know, guys, no, go ahead. It's no problem. <laughs> it, was a pro it was a problem because he didn't have a ton to rehearse with the band. You know? Yeah. It's, and it's a cottage industry now of bands that sound like the Ramones. I don't mean now it's been like this for like 20 some odd years, <laughs> close to 30 years now of bands that are trying to be carbon copies. There's a bunch of bands that just cover whole Ramones records start to oh, finish. There's, there's so many cover bands. Yeah. But no I one can a, do it. Well, yeah, it's one of a kind type of thing. You know, mm -hmm. when, uh, when my book came out in Italy a couple of years ago, there's a big festival called the home festival and they had different stages. They had just one stage of just Ramones cover bands all day long. <laughs> all day long just yeah. one stage you know there's a bunch of different stages of music that was one cover stage it's just ramones bands cover bands yeah well i think it's, it's crazy like, i think if you look at like you know you mentioned you too you mentioned all these bands 
it's everyone trying to be the Ramones, failing at it, and then going at it in a different way. Like that's that idea that everyone can do it, realizing that you can't do it like them, and then having to make something else. Well, they, it's basically they were inspired by what the Ramones were doing and how they were doing it. Mm -hmm. and, and the kids would say, hey, if they can do that, you know, it's not that unbelievably difficult. You know, you didn't, as I said, you know, you Eric Clapton on guitar or whatever. All these kids saw that, and so they formed bands too, you know. And YouTube just YouTube had that great song uh, they just put on one of their albums, The Miracle of Joey Ramone, you know. And Bob was talks about how Joey inspired him, and, and they did uh, see the band that, that they were inspired. That was, that's the legacy of the Ramones, basically. Yeah. And I think the thing that also, you know, gets away from people is that it is, you know, especially reading your book, it comes across as really high concept in a way. Like these guys were going in, you know, like with the exception of Didi, I guess, on bass, like everyone else had been doing other bands, right? Like, like Johnny had been in, in bands, you know, going back. And, and of course, you and Tommy had been doing bands forever at this point, you yeah, know, absolutely. by the time the Ramones are going. Well, yeah, but also you got to remember they worked at it very hard. People don't mm -hmm. realize they rehearsed a lot. They rehearsed a lot. I mean, if you see them, if you see some of the early videos of them in CBGBs, it was painful. You know, <laughs> that's what I, that's why I first saw them. I, I was coming from a band. I had two albums on Reprise Warner Brothers Records, 1971-72. I was a touring band. I was uh, we toured with the Beach Boys, Quicksilver. Quicksilver Messenger Service, Tom Rush, we were out there. And then on my band, I was pretty damn good bass player. And everybody in the group, they sang and they harmonies and stuff. So initially, I was, saw the, them come in basically as three piece. And they eventually, you know, got Tommy into the band and they became four piece. But <laughs> it was very raw in the beginning. And they worked on it very hard. What was it like? You know, because like you, you've got all these stories about obviously John's like a huge figure in your book. And I think you get insight into Johnny Ramone in a way that you don't get it from anywhere else in, in this book. And it starts with that story where he, he's in his early band and he beats up the dude in the band during the show. <laughs> it was uh, as a kid, he wasn't a pleasant person to be around. You know, yeah. I mean, he, he was a juvenile delinquent, you know, he'd go up on roofs and throw TVs off the roofs to see if he could scare people. And he robbed pharmacies and he was a, a JD, basically, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and in the bands, the early bands, he was a rough guy, you know, he was wouldn't put up for it with, with any crap in the band like that, you know. Well, then what was it? Not about... with the Ramones, though. Not really. he, he wouldn't do that with the Ramones. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, with they the Ramones... calmed down a bit, you know. Well, is that what he's calming down or is it like well, he well, sees he, something? He, he wasn't as, he didn't, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to punch anybody out, yeah. like, you know, because <laughs> he realized what the Ramones had really something special, you know, I didn't want mm -hmm. to keep it going. That's why all the years when Joey and Johnny were, you know, not together, basically, the later years, I mean, they started off as friends, they started the group together, you know? but he didn't want to be, you know, take it to a point where they would fight and break up because he realized that they, they had something very special going. Yeah. The yeah. music of the Ramones was incredibly special. And he realized that. And Joey realized that this, that's why they kept together for how many managers last 22 years. Yeah. Know? Well, it, it's interesting. Also, like, it's a sort of like concept where the band is bigger than the, the egos of the people involved. Like you, you guys all seem to be suffering it different times in the book you talk about and like some very visually suffering obviously in the case of dd through drug use and stuff like that and like yet 
it's like we soldier on because this is the Ramones and it's not till Joey's really just literally physically breaking down at the end that it kind of comes to a, a halt. Well, yeah, Didi realized that when he left the band, he didn't want to be in the Ramones army anymore after a number of years there. So he, he left. And then, but the good thing about that is he realized he's going to still write music for them. So he mm -hmm. still was writing music for the band after he left and they used all that great stuff because he was a terrific songwriter and, you know, musician. So, uh, Yep. That was a beautiful part about that, you know? Um, so I guess going back before that, who did Butch play with, like your your previous band? Like who who was kind of on the scene and what was the scene? Well, yeah. This, do, you, do you ever hear of the Mercer Arts Center? Yeah, absolutely. We, we played the day before it fell down. Whoa. <laughs> were you there the day it fell down? We played there the day before it fell down. Oh, but were you actually there the day it fell down? Or no, no, no. I was, God, no. But the damn building fell down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I wasn't there when it fell down. No, I didn't, so I didn't see it fall down, but we, the day before it fell down, we played there with Butch. Wow. Actually, Johnny Ramon saw us there at that show we played. And he was always, he always goofed around with Tommy and said, well, Monty was the best part of that band. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, liked, he liked to stick it to Tommy there. Like, <laughs> so so yeah, yeah, at that time, and Butch is like the, the, the transition between glam and punk, mm -hmm. glam rock was, was transitioning, you know, the dolls, the Slade dolls that was transitioning at that time, you know, because mm -hmm. if you look at the pictures of us and Butch were with the suspenders and the silk pants and the high heeled shoes and, you know, Granny takes a trip shoes and stuff like that. It was expensive uh, outfitting in those days. That's why the Ramones, they, they started a little bit in the beginning. You see some early stuff on them CBGBs, you know, Johnny's wearing like a silk satin pants and leopard leopard shirt you know they were transitioning but they realized it was too very freaking expensive buying that clothes you know yeah so tommy said look and then johnny look, look let's just wear what we wear basically which was you know ripped jeans because they couldn't afford new jeans and you know they were wearing leather jackets they said let's just do that you know t-shirts and that's how that developed basically well that's what i mean it's almost there is a high conceptness to it because at the same time you have bands like well you guys played with them kiss you know kind of going the other way with what they're doing there's almost like a consciousness in the ramones that we're going to be doing everything the opposite of whatever they want to simplify it basically yeah simplify yeah. The, the songs simplified down shorter songs no solos no drum solos no guitar solos simplify it down to three minute songs boom bam you know that's what that, that that's what they worked on mm-hmm it's uh i met johnny i like went out for dinner with johnny and linda when i was 16 uh oh, on, a, wow. on a school trip and it was i yeah it was a very my I, my teacher in the high school like who taught us media was friends with johnny through poster trading like horror movie posters yeah he's speaking to that yeah and so we went out for dinner one night and it was like a, a really formative kind of experience for me as like a young person and getting to see a very different side of him than i've kind of learned you know was kind of like the other side of him like he seems like a guy that really did have two very distinct personalities absolutely was just you or it was a school it was it was my class but no one in my class cared about punk except for me what the so, whole class went out to dinner with yeah, johnny yeah where was that where did you go in la in the hotel we were staying we were staying in some holiday inn uh not too far from universal uh studios and uh our teacher was like johnny ramon's coming and gonna have dinner with us and so we're waiting there all night and johnny doesn't come so we're eating dessert and we're just looking i'm furious at this point looking at my teacher and then 
in walks Johnny with a pair of Elvis glasses on with Linda oh. and then sits wow. down and just hangs out. And no one in the band, no one else in the class really was that into the band at that point because it's, you know, 96. Oh, yeah. Wow. But 96, me, they, they just retired in 96. Yeah, it was just after. So I had a lot of show. Oh, it maybe must have been 96, 97, because I had a lot of questions about the last show video, because I'd seen that, like, why was Eddie Vedder singing the last song? And all, I was just punishing him, <laughs> peppering him with these questions. And he was amazing. Like, the way he humored me as this probably very annoying little kid uh, just seems so at odds with sort of the presentation of this sort of, at times, you know, villainous or or more like a foil as he's presented in by some people these days you know it's so I, well I, I yeah just, there's a two sides of johnny basically yeah you know? but yeah and i really the ramon's side and the after ramon's side or you know not ramon's side so you i guess you, you never saw them live then right no i never got to see them the only time they played uh the, well there's that lollapalooza you guys did the last lollapalooza yeah, 96, run 96 96 yeah and i i was grounded so i couldn't go to that and then you played hamilton with white zombie and that was just uh-huh. too far to go to and rob, uh, the, rob zombie yes yeah well that's another per, like good you know, friend of johnny's and sean too from that like you know two yeah. people that were hugely influenced by the ramones like wouldn't be doing music without this band like it's amazing the doors and they continue to open like i don't think i'd be doing music without them like it was seeing them in 1991 the year punk broke the sonic youth movie that was like oh this is different and by that point the simpsons had already like you know the ramones were out there but it was seeing them in that doing commando that i was like oh this is what i want to i want to pursue this well the simpsons they did sing happy birthday yeah to mr burns yeah. yeah there was a point i guess like i wanted to ask you about this like i guess it's post nirvana where the transition begins from ramones as this band kind of slugging it out to ramones becoming almost classic rock at that point like you know the way these bands are putting it over as being sort of this foundational influence could you guys experience that like do you feel that towards the end on the road no i mean the, the most of the fame came like after they they had a little bit you know when they were 96, 95, 96, they started feeling it a bit, you know, but then they, they retired and, uh, you know, I think when, after the, all of them passed away, they got a lot bigger, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, they realized on the Lollapalooza tour was interesting because we had like uh, Metallica headlining and Soundgarden, Rancid, and Ramones, you know? So I put the band on the Ramones on stage early on, you know, almost I'm standing there and there's all the, this Metallica, Soundgarden, right? They're all standing on the side of the stage. They're big fans. That So they you started realizing something's going on here because all these bigger, huge groups are, you know, become, they want to be friends. We got, you know, Metallica and Soundgarden and all those guys became very good friend, friendly with Johnny and, and the band at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So, well, so I, they realized something was going on there, you know? Yeah, well, it must have been, you know, like, it, obviously, in punk rock, I, I think the Ramones set the uh, the bar for this. You're, you're paid more in accolades than you ever are in dollars. And I think that was must have been the time at the beginning to see that. Like, And it, and it kind of goes from there, right? Like, every band kind of posts that era is informed by the Ramones. And even before that, with U2 and R.E.M., like, there were bands kind of the whole way through like they started inspiring bands right out of the gate yeah yeah that's what i said the legacy of the ramones was kind of kind of like that's what they, they inspired a lot of kids to form bands w- was butch still going when you own when you ran performance no 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 I, no no 
I had other groups and I, I was in other groups at the time I was in Butch. I'm sorry, Performance Studios. What were the groups around Performance Studio time? My groups? Yeah. Well, I was like, like a, it's funny because I was like a, a rock and roll, pop rock type of stuff, you know? I mean, the 71, 72, the 30 Days Out, and Reprise was a country rock band, mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. And then I went over, uh, that broke up, I went with Tommy, we kind of did the glam rock thing with Butch, and then I started uh, other bands with uh, pop rock stuff, you know? It wasn't anything memorable, really. A lot of our equipment was in the studio. That's why we, I was there basically because we, Tommy and I built a studio and we ran a studio, we managed the studio, so we had time for our own particular uh, ventures there. One of mine was a group I was in. And, and of course, Tommy brought the Ramones in just to re re uh, manage them and produce them, not to be mm -hmm. in a band, basically. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting time around performance because, you know, in the book, the you know, you have the dolls the talk about like rehearsing there towards the end yeah dolls blondie reversed there, a couple of other bands yeah so there's that transition of like the old new york scene you know giving way in this sort of like new new york scene which the ramones would be very much sort of foundational in building like kind of emerging uh were there other bands that kind of stood out around that time to you like milk and cookies like there seems like there's like a more of a sort of fascination with that like brief period in new york music these days i remember suicide a lot. oh yes <laughs> Because they were crazy. I mean, they opened up for their moms a few times and they, they, they weren't very, because I was running a PA for them and they were a little harsh on the microphones, you know? <laughs> I was pissed off about that. So it was a band, you know? Yeah. I remember them. That was, they were pretty wild. Yeah. And, you know, all the other bands opened up for their moms, like Blondie, Talking Heads. They all opened up for their moms at CBGBs, you know? And then they became so much bigger over the years. You know, and the poor Ramones couldn't get to that plateau, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It felt, well, that's the thing is they kept going and it feels, it feels like there was a constant renewal though, of people going to these Ramones shows and then being that next wave of bands at every turn. Like it was, it started there and then just never ended. Well, initially only the only people in CBGB's in the early years with all the bands. Yeah. You know, they only just let come on in and you drink a few beers, you can hang around and then watch whatever's going on. And luckily Hilly let bands come in and play original material, which at that time, you know, most clubs just wanted to play top 40 stuff, you know, mm -hmm. couldn't get into those clubs unless you played top 40. Hilly said, you know, come on in, bring some people or drink some beer, whatever, you know, on the barn, and then, then you can do what you want, which is the beautiful part about CBGBs. I've heard time and time again from people that came on the show that especially in the early days when his dog was still there and they were doing the chili that it was one of the worst smelling places on earth. Was that something you remember from there? It was a smelly bar. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, I mean, it wasn't unbelievably unbearable, you know, but it was, uh, it was smelly, you know, grungy bar and the bathrooms are crazy and ridiculous. And uh, the dog was there sometimes, you know, pooping around, but they're not yeah. too bad. I mean, it's there, you know, but that was a that. The early bands come in that's what you know come in and play that's the mm -hmm. important part who cares what it smells like you know <laughs> it's important they had a venue a stage yeah, yeah. and then you know, Hilly, you know built it up over the years you know like they put in a good pa system and, you know we and initially we brought our own pa system in there because of crappy pa system there but Hilly realized over the years he put a decent pa system in there you know 
Yeah. By the time I played there, which was right before the end, the bathrooms were still a disaster, but it sounded oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he never changed the bathrooms. I think that's, I don't know why. But I guess he, he liked it like that. It adds a certain character. You also, you, you know, people do their business and get out that way. You know, you don't have a lot of yeah. people hanging around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing drugs and stuff. Uh, one thing I've also kind of been fascinated by is the way the Ramones sped up over time. You know, like if you play, Ooh, can be, yeah. you know, like yeah, it's a live to loco live. Like it's a, it's a different band by that point, you know, in the team, in terms of tempo. And when CJ was on, uh, he, he kind of talked about the fact that it was something that kind of wore on Joey. Like he, the speed thing was something that really bothered him. Well, yeah, it, for some reason, they, it, the different drummers kept on speeding it up, you know, mm. Marky sped it up and Richie sped it up. Marky came back and it was really fast, you know. I don't know why that happened. What just was it, it something evolved there? They just decided to play very fast. Yeah, it was rough on Joey. Also, Joey had a lot of trouble because of the volume that the Ramones played. And at that time, we couldn't afford ear. You know, they had these the ear monitors. Mm -hmm. We couldn't afford them. They're very, very expensive, thousands of dollars. So he had to have these giant monitors in front of him. Even that didn't help because. You know, the Marshalls blat, you know, on 10 or 11, <laughs> 11 basically. You know, it was like overwhelming for poor Joey. He had very trouble with the monitors. In fact, uh, one of my favorite songs, you know, what my favorite Ramon song is. Was that? No, actually, no, I do. It's, 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 um, it was on End of the Century. What's, yeah. uh, I'm blanking on it now, though. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All the way. All the way, of course. Yes. He talks about me and the monitor man. Yes, of course. That's why I was like, he mentions you on the lyrics. So First of all, I'm driving him crazy, like being an Navy. And why are all the monitor men still alive? Because he had the baby have a hard time. You know, yeah. the monitor men had a rough job with, you know, Kishoe, you know, standing in front of all these heavy duty marshals and ampegs blasting away at him. You know, he had this, you know, he had very a lot of trouble, you know. And I think I don't think people understand, uh, you know, because like you know, I sing in a band too, and I deal with the fact that everyone in my band wants the volume to be assaultingly loud. It, it's different when you're the singer, you know, and and the effects of this volume on you, it, it, especially over time, like over years and years, decades, it is something that does have a physical wear and tear. All I wish that at that time, over their career, we could have afforded those ear ear monitors. That would have helped Joey a lot. Mm -hmm. you know because he was right there you know otherwise he had the monitors down there in front of him and he, they, you know, they gave feedback and stuff and it was like that it was rough on him and the monitor man you know yeah i guess there's also a physical wear and tear in punk rock that you know like obviously the ramones are setting the benchmark for but it's still to this day where you're at a level in a band that even when you're really big in the genre you're never big enough to be flown around at the level that really could accommodate what you're doing to your body every night because you're also it's very intense what you're doing you know like you're up there it's not like you're sitting down at a piano at some point you're disappearing off stage and reappearing in a different outfit like you're there the whole time and i think it's something that's underestimated about the genre well yeah especially with the moments because there was like so many songs right in a row and fast and all that that's why later on, and when CJ joined the group, which is good for Joey, he would get a chance. CJ would sing a few songs in there, and yeah. give Joey a little break. But before that, it was just Joey all the time. You know, 
And Joey didn't like taking off his jacket a lot, you know. <laughs> so he's it would bother, you know, with the heavy jacket and singing, and then sometimes the you know the stage lights is hot, hot. That wore him down a lot, you know. During I the can, show, I can only imagine in like parts of Europe in the summer or South America, like there's just some countries where a leather jacket would be such well, a huge burden. I think ninety, uh, not, the Yes Festival, like eighty two or something. Like that. We were out in San Bernardino, yeah, and we went on early. In the day, it was like 100 degrees, you know, and uh, it was rough. I mean, uh, the night before, Marky was drinking heavily, and so he gets on stage and he almost fainted, you know. On they had to bring out some oxygen for him, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it was like yeah. 100 degrees in the middle of the desert there, you know. If you watch the US Festival, it's like amazing, you know. Yeah, no, it's just like, and and to have to keep it up, like that's the thing about the Ramones, like there is this image like that's on stage where it becomes almost like you know they, they couldn't not wear the leather jackets well yeah and also after every show they, their jackets would be like soaked you yeah. have to hang them up and dry hopefully they would dry out for the next day but you know they really soaked into their jackets you know yeah they must have had an odor too i imagine by an end of a tour oh yeah yeah <laughs> well they were used to odors playing cbgb so that's true you're right you're right it all comes back to that smell <laughs> that's <laughs> it that built them up for the, the owners <laughs> yeah um i wonder going back to the the early days like you mentioned blondie practicing there did you see the stilettos like the pre-blondie thing that they did uh, not really no w what about the band the dogs that moved from detroit briefly they played with the dictators and they played with kiss the show kiss got signed at they're yeah. a band that's kind of brought up as being an early influence on johnny in some way uh, not really, no. A lot of times, I, as I said, I was I had my own band there, which is yeah. different music than what was going on. And, and uh, I only worked at CPGB's with the Ramones, basically, uh, doing the PA and stuff like that. I didn't hang out at CPGB's quite a bit, like the Ramones did and stuff like that. Were you, what would, how did things change once hardcore came around? Like in terms of like what people were coming to your shows, like it's something that's brought up constantly on the show that like there was a huge tonal shift in, in what was, well, was the punk. the problem with the heavy metal and hardcore, the booking agents didn't know where in early years, what to do with their moans and who to put them, what bill to put them on. So they started sticking them on like uh, heavy metal, like uh, Black Sabbath. And, uh, yeah. Ted Nugent and Johnny Winters, they didn't realize that those fans are not gone. Early years, then nobody knew what the hell the Ramones were doing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to hear the Ramones before, like, uh, Black Sabbath. So it was dangerous because, you know, some, some of those shows, they were throwing, like, uh, you know, coins and batteries and stuff that was, you know, hurt the band and stuff like that. There was one instance we were in Toronto, I think, with the, the, the uh, it was a music festival, big outdoor music festival in Toronto. Exhibition but, Stadium, maybe? Yes, 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 yeah, yes. Yeah. If there's a beautiful picture about of that, in so the they're, they're well, they're throwing food on stage, <laughs> you know, garbage and food. And there's a great shot of the Ramones giving the finger to thirty thousand people, Johnny and Joe and Dee Dee standing there like you know, giving the finger the bird to the all the whole thirty thousand people. You know? Yeah, it's a great shot, great shot well it, i guess it goes to show because i've heard from people that were at that show that that was the show that got them into punk you know like there's you, you know you might alienate twenty nine thousand of them but there's going to be a thousand of those people that are going to walk away change forever 
Well, yeah, but Toronto was always a great venue, uh, a city for the Ramones to come. And we came there early on. It's the New second York place you played, right? After yeah, yeah. Out, outside, yeah. yeah. The New Yorker Theater. And yep. We always loved coming to Toronto. It, uh, years ago, a friend of mine, Don Pyle, who flyered for that show, to help with the Garys, who put on that show, gave me a flyer from that very first Ramones show in Toronto, the New Yorker Theater. And it's it's amazing. Like, once again, like, that is... You know, things were starting to happen here because there was an awareness of, of you know, what was going on in New York. And there was sort of like, a, you know, sort of it felt like there was something around 74 that happens around the world where people just are waiting for the Ramones to happen. And I think that was in Toronto, the anticipation. But that show that you guys play, everything kind of kicks off after that. Yeah. The Gary's are great. Gary Topp and all those yeah. guys. Yeah. Wonderful promoters. And they, we always come back over and over again, you know. Yeah. I think the Horseshoe, Horseshoe Tavern. And yeah. Mabuhe, I think, is not a club. Is it? No, that's in San Francisco. No. But there was, there was a club in Toronto. Oh, El Macombo. El Macombo, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You guys, play the, you guys played the El Macombo? I think we did. Oh, wow. I knew you played the concert hall, and I knew and, you played. Uh, and the Horseshoe thing, I think. Yeah, Horseshoe there. Tavern, yep. And the New York Theater. <clears throat> we kept on coming back and back and back. It was great. You know, the uh, Toronto has kind of like a New York feel to it, you know? Yeah, New York with training wheels yeah <laughs> yeah it, that's why we always thought you know when i say we i mean like kids in the punk scene that there was going to be that ramones last toronto show you yeah. know but if it, it felt like it felt like things had to end when it ended like there was like no and then of course there was that famous you know turn down offer of a reunion eventually too because health was just not permitting at that point yeah well johnny felt it was time to retire and joey was like felt they needed time off and marky and cj they would have gone on you know yeah uh it's just a shame that they i mean that they they might have later gotten together again who knows you know dolls did it you know mm -hmm. well johnny said when we went out for dinner that night that he's like i'm never going to pick up a guitar again and he he said which of course he did but he was like did you ever hear about retired baseball players going out and picking up baseballs and playing baseball again which yeah. of course not the, the answer is not, yes not the but... dolls i think it's a sex pistol oh and dolls did too Dolls, Did they uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Morrissey but, got him to do a reunion. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, when Johnny left, you know, when they retired in 96, Johnny said, that's it. He's got rid of all the stuff, get rid of amps and uh, some of his guitars. But he saw what this guitar went for recently. Yeah. See what it is? Millions. Yeah, a million dollars, almost a million dollars. That yeah. one guitar. That the, of course, he used that for most of his career and a lot of albums and stuff. Yeah. And I think even that was people deciding not to bid on it because I think they wanted to go to Linda too, right? Like, I think it could have even gone for more at this point. Like it's, it feels like it's, uh, well, I've heard you talk about it. Like it's, it's Beatles, Stones, Ramones. And it, it really is at this point when in terms of like bands that have had that kind of influence on people. Um, That's amazing. Going back to like, what was it like when at the shows, when hardcore came in, like, were they getting much more violent in terms of crowd reaction? Like well, did it change the way you do, did things? It, you know, it evolved into uh, very scary times for, with the mosh pits and stuff like that. And early on, people kept on jumping on stage. And Johnny says, you know, we don't want this. This is our show. I don't want anybody jumping on stage, jumping at the audience. And uh, so we, I made sure we had very good barriers with security in front, you know. Mm -hmm. to keep. But even though we would go to some clubs... And then the, the club owner would come and say, what's going on? It's a riot going on. You know, the mosh pits and the kids are banging around and stuff. 
it was it got rough there for a while and of course yeah. in england with the spitting that was horrible you know yeah uh but you know initially it was rough because a lot of promoters did or booking agents and club owners didn't know what's going on and they saw the mosh pits and the crazy antics you know kids jumping around and trying to get on stage and jump into the audience and all that stage surfing uh, crowd surfing and all that stuff it was scary there for a while you know when you guys must have seen it first too because it really does you know it starts in california um but like it really gets going in new york in terms of like you know when new york hardcore kicks off that's like you know and that's once again out of cbgb so it must have been sprinkling over to the ramon shows too well yeah new york and all over the world i mean we played early on in place in sweden and unfortunately there was a uh it was a seated venue and they destroyed like two rows at the front of the seats you know because <laughs> yeah. they were jumping around they weren't sitting in the seats you know yeah so that's why we try not to play theaters with seats in it you know yeah it's it's interesting because it's not just a shift in Sonics that happens when the Ramones come out. It's, it's, it's also like a shift in etiquette at concerts. Cause there's no, you know, like people would riot previously, but that would be when they were angry. Like in punk, people are rioting because they're having a good time. Yeah. And, and you see it in other types of music now, but that really starts with punk. It starts oh, with yeah. you guys. The mosh pits and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, or even just trashing a venue. Like you don't really, you can't really think of like, too many classic rock shows where people are just so excited they're going to trash the first three rows. Uh, maybe well, that's Black because Sabbath they shows. wanted to jump around and there was no yeah. you know, there seats there, so they were jumping on the seats and destroying a couple of rows there. Yeah, they're going to find a way to have fun no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's always kind of made a big deal of now, and it's it, you know I know it's at this point very much overblown, but uh, the, the the rift in the band that emerges between Johnny and Joey. But I think, you know, like you've talked about how it's overblown and it's something that, but like that, as much as it is overblown by the world at large, I imagine touring with that must've been difficult because you're dealing with it on a direct basis every day. Well, yeah, you know, because Johnny realized it was a bit uh, hard because, he, you know, some venues he tried to bring Linda along, but he wouldn't keep her, he'd keep her back by the soundboard away from Joey. Put her on a different floor so joey wouldn't even see her around she didn't travel with the band at the time either uh later on mm -hmm. so johnny kind of kept it away so johnny realized that he didn't want to you know throw linda into john joey's face so that was you know okay basically because if he did then joey would have who knows what it would have happened so they realized they didn't want to really fight with each other because they knew the music was more than it was something special they wanted mm -hmm. to keep that going now you play music, right? Yep. So, yep. you know, it's like when you go on stage and, and you're playing great and the audience is feeding back as a high, you know, yep. there's a high going on there. And, uh, and, uh, when you come, a lot of bands come off stage, they want to keep that high going. They got drugs and alcohol, whatever, you know, but that's because they want to continue with that high going on. But the, the Ramones, you know, Johnny, Joey, and the rest of them realized that there was something special going out playing for 30,000 people or whatever venue and the crowds feeding back onto you and the music they you know, like were able to put out more music and write music and keep putting out albums. And so they didn't want to break that up. Yeah. I, I think it's also not even continuing the high for me, it was ending the high. Like, and I think that's why I want to be sedated. I appreciate it as a fan, but as a musician, I appreciate it as like a cry for help because that's what I needed <laughs> is, you know, you just wanted to be 
out so you could come back down, go to sleep and get to the next show and do it all again, because you're, you have to do it every single day. It's, it, you know, you did 2000 plus shows, you know, more than I do, but it's, it, it never ends. That uh, song just turned platinum because of the, it was very big during the, during this pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great shot. There's some old geezers doing it. Now some in a nursing home, they were doing it. I want to be sedated. You've got to get, pick that video up on YouTube. Yeah. Well, it's a song it's, that, it's a song that appeals to the old. And then there's also when my kids were born, someone gave us a Ramones lullaby uh, CD of Ramones yeah. lullaby song. So hmm. all generations, you know, it's like from, from zero to 99. Yeah. That's program. amazing. You know, you go out and you see somebody wearing a Ramones shirt, you know, a young person. And sometimes they know what it is. And sometimes they just like the, the design of the shirt. Yeah. yeah. But it's almost like, you know, something like a stop sign or, you know, there's certain symbols that become so iconic that they're, they, they just trigger meaning without saying something, you know? And I think well, that, they're, yeah. they're, they're I mean, one of those. The logo just took off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In my, yeah. I talk about that. I put a little section about how the logo evolved over the years. And it's an interesting little thing, but yeah, they're, it's amazing. I mean, they, well, you know, they were touring band and that's how they made their meat and potatoes was merchandise, you know. So mm -hmm. they sold a hell of a lot of t-shirts. Yeah. It's also like a great signifier. Still do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it, until now where it's now available everywhere. It's ubiquitous at this point. But prior to this era where when you saw someone in a Ramon shirt, it was a great signifier of that's someone cool to talk to. When you're traveling, you're like, oh, there's someone in a Ramon shirt. Let's ask them where the record store is or let's ask them where to eat because, you know, it was it was like the secret handshake. <laughs> really that's not that's interesting yeah i like well, that i like that well it's it's funny i was thinking about this today uh when i was you know once again finishing rereading the book you know the ramones really do set the archetype for punk bands not only sonically and all this sort of stuff aesthetically but even just like on a on a on a psychic mental level you know the fact that you have people dealing with anxiety issues you have domineering past personalities you have people that are just in it because they want to play music. You know, you have people that are legitimately screwed up and doing drugs. Like it really is like what punk bands have been ever since, you know, like it, and it's this sort of, you know, I wonder if it's the same in other genres. I got friends that exist in other genres and they, and their bands never seem as fucked up as the punk bands do. And it's really amazing reading this book being like, Oh wow. It's, it's, it's built into the DNA. Well, I think it's more like, the Ramones talk about what it's like, you know, growing up, teenagers, stuff. And that's why I think in, in uh, South America, all the kids there picked up on them very, a lot because they, they really zoned into what the Ramones are saying, basically, mm -hmm. you know. But, you know, teenage anxiety and I want to have something to do and I want to slip some blue and stuff like that. It really touched us a nerve there and also around the world, too. But that's the Ramones. I mean, that's what they're saying. They have their little, if you really listen to the Ramones, they are saying something there, you know? Oh, definitely. And it's. But in the, in, the, in the early years, people said, no, you know, this is three chords and what I want to beat up kids, babies with baseball bats and sniff glue. And they're, <laughs> that's the problem that they had because the, the, the radio station in the States, because of the sex pistols came along with their crazy antics, they said, well, uh, -uh. Sex Pistols, Ramones, forget it. We're not playing them. That's why they had a hard time getting on the radio in the United States. 
But South America, they got on the radio because the promoter had the radio station stuff. They were huge down there. Well, also in South America, like especially for you know low income punk kids, this was a reality. Sniffing glue was something that kids in the Argentinian punk scene and in the Brazilian punk scene, you did it because you you were homeless and you had no money, and that's that's what you did to kind of like get through the day. So, yeah, like it's amazing how you know you know obviously there's the Ramones are kind of like not really a political band minus a few songs here and there and the stuff that's made about the internal political divides but at the same time it becomes so political in south america like these kids needed punk rock and like the bands like are just key like so important culturally in a lot of these places yeah it's amazing emerge. yeah it's amazing like how it's not just once again a musical revolution but it's a cultural revolution that's kicked off yeah yeah uh, they were amazed the Ramones when they went down there first, uh, how big they were down there. It was scary for them because they never encountered the craziness of being a huge mega band like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did What was the first tour in South America again? In the year? Yeah. I can't remember the year exactly. It's early <laughs> on. It's yeah. early on. What was it like? Because a lot of places you're touring, and, and once again, like not to harp back on this conversation with Johnny, but I really punished him for questions. But he complained about a lot of the times when they were going on tour, especially Europe, just how, in his words, how backwards it felt versus what he was used to in terms of the experience going there. And a lot of places you're going, it's so different culturally. And and it's it's before bands even went there. Like, I think now things have changed a lot and it's a lot oh, more wow. climate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're going to England back in late 70s. You know, there's the TV shut off at 12 midnight. You know, yeah. uh, you go into a room and there's like uh, mixer taps, you know, two different hot and cold, you know, and the, of course we weren't staying at the best hotels either. And the food was, there was nothing open after the shows. There was no 7-Elevens and stuff like that. Maybe the hotel had a cheese sandwich or something, that, you know, but it was, it was rough, you know. Because, you know, with the time difference, we were, after the show, we were wide awake, you know, and there was nothing to do with the TV. There was no TV. There's not, you know, you couldn't get it, go out and get a sandwich or something to eat and stuff like that. So it was rough. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, but Johnny, you know, coming from uh, the United States and the minimal hotels in the United States were better than some of those places we were staying in, 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 in uh, England at that time because they weren't, you know, a huge band at the time, you know what I mean? So yeah. he didn't like it. The ice also was a big thing that warm beer and cold drink, uh, drink. There's no ice for drinks and stuff like that. That was a big deal. You know? Well, it seems like that's almost like a, cult, <laughs> a cultural thing. Cause it's still like that in the UK in terms of like, you know, no ice for drinks. Like that's definitely still a thing. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I, it got better over the years, you know, of course yeah. the, the bigger the Ramones got, then we had our own catering. We'd make I make sure there was ice <laughs> machines and stuff <laughs> on tour and stuff like that. What was it like on that, you know, early British so those first UK tours? Because I think there's two runs kind of just before punk there's one before punk really gets going, and then there's one kind of in the wake of punk kind of exploding, right? Like I well, think they're very back to back almost. They went over seventy six two shows, uh Dingwalls and uh Roundhouse quickly. Then they came back for seventy seven with a big tour. With the Talking Heads, yeah, opening up for the Ramones, and uh, that was a great tour. You know, that we went through England and Europe with the Talking Heads. Now that was the big tour for the punk tour. You know, that was labeled the Punks are coming, and 
here's the Ramones and Talking Heads. The Talking Heads didn't like being called punks. I'll tell you that. Yeah, no, I think that's the thing is, you know, and I find this right the way through with hardcore bands and, and emo bands and every band that kind of, especially the bands that start a genre, they never want to be called the genre they start. They're like, we just wanted to be called this, this other thing. And I guess that's the, the beauty of it. Like, you know, it's almost accidental what you inspire. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Monty, this has been unbelievable. And anytime you want to come back and, and talk music, please know that this is always uh, a place to come and, and nerd out about this stuff. But be before I let you go, can I ask you uh, just sort of like one or two last questions? Yes, more than that if you want. I'm here. <laughs> I was just wondering uh, what the band's thoughts were on on punk bands that kind of merged after, you know, they everything, after that initial wave in New York, after that initial wave in in England. You know, because I remember seeing a clip of Joey talking about Husker Du and, and being kind of dismissive of them sounding like the Ramones. And I just was wondering if there was any bands that they were into or if that was something that they kind of viewed as being less than a little bit. Well, they always listen to a lot of different music, especially Joey would listen to a lot of different music. Uh, Green Day was a big, you know, they were mm -hmm. funny thing about that. When they got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, poor Joey wasn't around. And, uh, yeah. Usually the band plays their songs after they get inducted, and Johnny says, oh, "I'm not going to play any Ramones with anybody else." So Green Day went up on stage and played all the Ramones songs that night. You know, yeah. Eddie Vedder was there inducting them. So, but uh, you know, Joey uh, listened to a lot of different bands over the years. You know, well, he was producing bands. You know, he did the uh, Inhalants, the, I think they're called Independence. Independence, sorry, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, he did something with Ronnie Spector. I worked with yeah. Ronnie afterwards for a little oh, bit. Oh, wow. She just passed away. Yeah, shame. rest in peace. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, the, Ronnie and her were, they were big friends. You know, she, they loved, you know, she, Ronnie loved Joey, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and Joey produced an EP for her with Daniel Ray. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. He also that did that. Yeah, he, he, would do, he would do his little um, shows. He would produce shows that he picked bands uh and uh, you know at the uh ritz and the continental and that you know different bands he liked and then do like a, a theme show yeah it was it was something that about that band that they were always kind of accessible like people come on like kid congo powers comes on who played you know in the cramps and the gun club and the birthday party with nick cave and everything he was the president of the ramones west coast fan club was this kid congo yeah and he talked wow, about i didn't know that yeah when he was on the show he talked about that first ramones uh la show and just how it was like a real interesting mix of people like all different types it was pre-punk so there were bikers there were you know sex workers there was all sorts of types of people there hanging out that day was that and, at the whiskey with blondie when blondie opened up i think it would have been the time before that even maybe hmm, okay um he he but he talks about how that was just the thing that made it so special was that the Ramones hung out and he has a photo of him and Dee Dee. And I think Tommy's in the photo too, actually. And it's, and he's like, this was like the first time you went to see a band and then the band's just out hanging out with you. And so many people talk about that, about the band and like, you know, right until the end, these people were accessible in a way. Yeah. Joey always, always stop and talk to anybody that would come up to him. Yeah. I even, I met like... Dee Dee on the street that way too, just going up to him. <laughs> Because he recorded his last record in Toronto. I think the Remains stuff was... was oh, really? That's yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, he he was up here for a while, and I saw him walking down the street one day, and just same sort of thing, like, 
here it is. And, and I don't think, you know, it's the same with a lot of other musicians in that way that they're the whole way through, especially at that sta status, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, they, they were very, they would talk. Johnny would stop and talk to people. Joey. Well, this has been awesome, Monty. Thank you so much for coming on. And, and I will, as I say, plug this on the wraparounds for this show, but everyone should have a copy of this in their library because this book is, is a, uh, a literal musical Bible. Just make sure you get the one with the remote red Ramones on the top red Ramones and says bonus edition here. Red Ramones. That's the one prettier logo with the red one. It looks pops yeah. way more than the yellow. Cover done by John John Holmes from, from Punk Magazine, by the way. A legend, a legend. Like that that magazine is something that uh, you know, it, it's just it's amazing going through the books of it now and looking at the beautiful illustrations, looking at the bands, the photo comics, like it's just graphically such a cool thing. And I want to give a shout out to uh, Frank Meyer who helped me with the book there. Absolutely. Great musician and uh bigger Mons fan. And he helped me. Yeah, I, I gave him co-writing for the book and stuff like that because he did a good, great job. You know? Well, it's, as I say, it's a book that everyone should own. And, and, you know, I'm glad that it's coming back into print with new stuff. Thank you. And to all the Ramones fans out, fans out there, gaba gaba hey. All right, you're right there. The Red Writing Edition. Once again, this book is by Monty A. Melnick and it is by Frank Meyer. And it is an absolutely essential book. Uh, there's no hyperbole in that. Thank you, Monty, for coming on the show. Monty will be back one day, hopefully, and we can have more conversations. He seems, <laughs> seems very shocked about that dinner with Johnny Ramone, which does I know it does come up on the show quite a bit, but it was a huge moment for me in my life. Anyway, speaking of huge moments for me in my life, coming up on the next episode of this podcast, very podcast right here one of my favorite lead singers of all time someone who changed my life seeing him live perform live with his band from the band avail by popular request and finally happening tim barry is on the show and it, it's a good one it is a fun conversation and we go deep on a lot of punk rock subjects and yeah, I, I'm very excited for you to hear it. All right, that is it for me. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter, the lives and issues of indigenous, that affected indigenous peoples all over the world matter. Uh, we need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards people of different races or faiths because these are not political issues. This is just like basic human rights issues. that You, you see it all over the world, you know, like to see this sort of resurgence of of just mainstream hatred and, and people marketing it and, and living in it. I know it never went away, but I don't know. It's, it's very disturbing to see it come back. So get involved in organizations that are making positive change in the world around you. They can benefit from your time, maybe financial support, maybe just spreading the word. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff that can be done in this world and needs to be done in this world. And also another thing that's like not a political issue, just a human rights issue is people having access to choose to have abortions if they want them or not. I, and that is once again, something that's going to be under attack here in Canada and it's under attack, obviously in America, it's, it's some places it's, it's never been permissible and other places it's 
under attack as well. So, you know, once again, there's organizations doing positive work or, or making positive change, affecting positive change. I'm sure they could benefit in some way from your support on some level. Try meditating. I I don't really know too, too much about it. I'm never going to pretend to be an expert, but I've found comfort in doing it. It took me a long time to to finally, you know, realize how beneficial it is to me. And I know, once again, people have known this for centuries and <laughs> this is nothing new. But to me, it, it, it kind of is, I guess, relatively speaking, new, especially in the grand scheme of how long people have known about meditating. It's just a, a grain of sand, you know, that I've been. Anyway, uh, there's apps. Try an app. Do something creative. Get involved. Make your own culture. Anyone can do this shit. Start a band, start a fanzine, start a podcast. Anyone can do this stuff. Um, and you never know where it's going to take you. You know, maybe, maybe help with your friends' bands. If there's a band you like, I'm sure they could once again, you know, benefit from some support and, and labor and, and whatnot. So maybe, maybe you're going to be like Monty and help literally shepherd around the next remotes. You know, that could happen. Uh, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them. It's just literally just dead weight at that point. So sign them and hopefully someone will have uh, some uh, benefit out of it. And that is it. Uh, thank you everyone for listening to this podcast and I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.